0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. Today is episode 108 of Tycoons of Small Biz. And if you're tuning in for the first time and and want to know what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz. We are a small business podcast put together by small business owners for small business owners. We believe that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner. That's really who drives this economy here in, in our country. And so because of that, we started this podcast in May of 2020 as an opportunity to prop up the small business owner community. And so we invite a new business owner or business owners onto the podcast every single week and let them tell their story, share advice talk about what it is that they do and and what they're doing to help drive this economy forward. So with that being said, today, like I said, is episode 108, but we are actually going back to the very beginning. We've got episode number one's guests here on the podcast with us today. We've got father and son, Joel, the father, and Josh, the son, Zolan, of Windy City Equipment here in Gilbert, Arizona. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, man. Really appreciate it. We were really your first guest? Yes, you were. So as you can see, I still get a little bit tongue twisted from time to time. And so I do my best, obviously, but we're talking for an hour and we all uh, we have these little tongue twisting issues that we all deal with. But no, actually really excited to have you guys back. You guys, you know, we know each other pretty well. We have spent a lot of time together over the years and I've watched what you guys are are doing at Windy City. So, you know, for those who are listening to the podcast today and, and aren't familiar with your story. Joel, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of how this, how this got started, you know, the year that it got started, what you were thinking, how you got involved, and then ultimately we can either pass over
2: to Josh or you can explain how Josh came into the business as well. It was 2003. I was working at a bakery back in Chicago, hundred hours a week on salary, got a bonus of $300. I said, I called my wife at the time and said, you wanted to move somewhere warm, pick a place. <laughs> Picked Arizona, we came out that weekend, I bought a house, Got a job, lasted for about two months because I just felt that they were robbing people. So I met a guy that asked me if I can fix his oven. I said, I could. He said, "Uh, great, fix it. So I did, I made more money fixing his oven than I had in the last two weeks at work. So I called my wife and said, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. What are we gonna do? (laughs) I said, I'm gonna start a company. So Windy City was born and went from making little money to making even less money. So it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The story of most business owners, right? Is that first year, two, three years even can be rough, right? Yeah. First year, I think I made a 11 grand. Yeah. So tough paying a mortgage, car payments, all of that with $11,000. So we lived off of credit cards.
1: Yeah. That's lower than I would have expected, right? I mean, I, obviously, entrepreneurs struggle in the first year. Mm-hmm. I, the first year I started my business, I, I want to say it was twenty six grand, But I was living in Southern California, so maybe the cost of living, <laughs> you know, <laughs> difference. Yeah. I mean, you know that from your, uh, yeah. what do you call it, stuntman days. Yeah. 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 Well, Josh, so you came, what year, 2008? 2008, 2008
3: think was? yeah, is when, I, is when I came on board. I like to tell a story, right? I was, I was in uh, L.A. at the time kind of followed in his footsteps right before he became an entrepreneur in the stunt business. And so I was kind of used to that glitz and glam of Hollywood, right? But I knew that it wasn't my passion. I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit and decided to follow it. So once I got fed up with the stunt industry, I called him up one day and I said, Hey, Dad, I I want to work with you. You got to remind me what you do, but I want (laughs) I want to work with you. And then I think it was the following weekend that it came out, you know, in, in 2008.
2: And No, that weekend.
3: That weekend. And uh, he had found an apartment for me. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, hit the ground running. You know, I didn't know the first thing about turning wrenches, about uh, restaurant equipment or, or the repair thereof. So he taught me everything from the ground up, how to diagnose problems, how to fix the issue, how to talk to customers, all of that. And it was fun. I mean, not at first, right? At first, <laughs> at first, I was like, "Put me back in L.A." Yeah. But uh, but after about a year or so, I got to really understand uh, the benefits and the rewards that came along with it. And so, from there, you know, we both started learning quite a bit. You know, I had aspirations to grow the business, and always motivated. It's in my in my nature, I guess, and. So once he taught me how to fix the equipment and talk to the customers and stuff like that, I kind of got my arms around it, started to innovate a little bit, got my arms around the back end, you know, how to do the scheduling, how to do the quoting, how to do the invoicing, you know, that evolved to uh, looking at P&Ls, balance sheets, you know, poking around in QuickBooks and see what kind of damage I could do there. (laughs) The whole time, just kind of trying to learn more and more about the business so we could take it by the reins, and uh, and really put the pedal to the metal, which ultimately is what happened. So I think the timeline was 2008, I arrived. Uh, 2011, we started to bring on, I think, our first employees, uh, something like that, still working out of his garage, his front room. So we started bringing on some, some more people, and more people, and more people, and the garage kept getting more and more full. And I think at one point... We had big ovens, you know, they come in crates, like, uh, what, six feet high, 10 feet long crates. And we had, what, 16 of them? Probably. 16 or 17 of them in the garage, on the side yard, on the back patio. Finally, the HOA was like, guys, you got to (laughs) stop. You have got to stop. And so we looked for a building, found a building, opened up an HVAC and refrigeration department. Because before that, we had only uh, stuck to the hot side dryers, okay. ovens, stoves, that kind of stuff. Opened that up. Uh, I think about this time is when I had taken the reins as uh, CEO. Until then, I had just kind of been moving through the ranks, still splitting time out in the field, you know, helping train people, schedule people, did my time in the parts department, you know, all that kind of stuff. Once I, I took over as CEO, then we opened up in Tucson, Arizona. And then we outgrew, quickly outgrew the building that we had bought. So we had to get another building and we opened up in Houston, Texas, and then Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it's been a long road, you know, but very exciting, a lot of fun, wouldn't trade it for the world. And kind of that's that's how we were today.
1: Yeah. So it's that long road to overnight success, right? Cause fr- <laughs> yeah, that's fr- right. from the outside, right? Whether... I know you've got a younger son, Ryan, but he's not, it's not like he's 10 years old. Right. And and just all of a sudden saw dad's got, you know, this great business going and everything's, everything's great. But I'm sure that there are some people in your life that felt like, gosh, they built this company and overnight they've got this successful company. Yeah. So it's probably fair to say that for you, Joel, and, and at least, you know, the way you described it for you, it was really just, Gosh, you know what? I can make more money working for myself. And so when you started the company, it was really just about providing yourself a job. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And so it took about five years for. So Josh was the first employee that you had outside of that, or maybe, I, you know, some I had helpers. a couple of
2: employees prior to that that didn't last very long. You know, it was with the work ethic that they had, I was doing all the work anyway. So why even bother? So I just had the mentality I'll keep it small and keep it all. And then he called.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's crazy when it's your own child, how you think about things
2: differently. Right? Well, I, I remember the call and I said, what do you want to do? He said, I was hoping to work with you and yeah, what do you do? <laughs> so <laughs> it, uh, yeah. But ever since then it's, we haven't looked back.
3: Yeah. So so how, how old were you at the time, Josh? In 2008. you going to make me do math. <laughs> I blacked out the last 13 years. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, I think I was 22. I think I was 22.
1: Okay. So, I mean, there's a reason I asked that. So, I, I my own son is 22 years old. He's got a year left of college. He chose to go to college. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about your guys' thoughts about that and, and where the, you know, the directions go. But uh, it's been interesting because five years ago, he had no clue what I did. Um, and his belief, at least in what I did had to have been the most boring thing in the world. Why would I ever want to do what, you know, what dad does to fast forward to now? And it's like, Oh man, what, what dad does is kind of pretty cool. And he helped, you know, he helps business owners and he does this and he does that. And maybe I, maybe I am interested in, you know, coming to work for dad. so we're starting to have that conversation a little bit. He still has this, you know, with what he's studied in school, he studied sports journalism. Again, he's got one year left to, to finish his degree um, but he's also going to graduate with a, a sales and marketing certificate, and he wants to try to work in the sports marketing end of things with teams or companies that do sporting events and, you know, those sorts of things. And so I think he's going to pursue that at least first and decide if that's, you know, really what he wants to do. And I want him to follow his passion. He has no, you know, he doesn't have to come to work for dad because that comes with its own complications as well, right, Joel? Sure. I can see the look in your eyes and the aging that has happened over the last 13 years. So talk to us about that. (laughs)
2: Well, you know, you want to protect your children. So uh, it's a great business that we have. Uh, He's taught me just as much as I've taught him. So, no, I wouldn't say there's, I'm very proud that he's in the company, that he runs the company. You know, Ryan, he's he's completely different. Didn't want to follow in our footsteps, but he was still entrepreneurial. So he did not want to go to college. Uh, He's got his own business now. He does very, very well. Uh, So, you know, he's got to stop stealing our employees. But (laughs) it's... uh, 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 Yeah, yeah, but I, I couldn't be prouder of both my boys.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ryan was on the show probably 3 4 5 weeks after you guys were on the show and so he was he was on the show pretty early on as well and came on with his broker but I've I've also followed him pretty closely on social media as you both know he's very active on social media with what he's doing from a real estate standpoint and so you know the the cool thing about it is he doesn't have to do what dad does right, right. he doesn't even have to be an entrepreneur if he does if that's not what he wants to do but I think that it's satisfying as a parent and I'm starting to see this myself to see the way that they think about things, mm-hmm. right, and they're starting to understand that they can carve out their own path, no matter what that path looks like, and they start to make you know good decisions
2: about important things in life. Absolutely, uh, seen it with both Josh and with Ryan. And you know, Ryan is he's still young, and he knows yeah. he's young. He's immature in a lot of ways, but he's also wise beyond his years in a lot of ways too. So. I really can't complain.
3: Nah, <laughs> no, I'm
1: just kidding, Ryan, if you're listening. <laughs> Tell me what that was like for you, Josh, the dynamic early on, because I, I think about it and, and it's different. And I I'm, I'm I feel it personally as a father shifting a little bit, right? Because I'm starting to see the things and the way that my son thinks about the decisions that he makes and, and realizing, okay, he's starting to think like an adult and he's making a decision, you know, making decisions like adults. Now, biologically, we know that the brain doesn't fully develop until age 25. So I thought it was 59. <laughs> <laughs> he's still <laughs> no, just because you still have childlike tendencies doesn't mean your brain's not fully <laughs> formed, right? But uh, you know, but I'm starting to see, gosh, you know, maybe, you know, and it's not like everybody's like you hit your 25th birthday and all of a sudden, you know, your brain's fully formed and you're making good decisions, but I start to see. The decision making, and, it, and it, as a father, it makes you proud. But the concern that I have as a father who's potentially going to have a son coming into the business is, how do you keep that relationship separate? Right? There's the father-son relationship, and then there's the co-worker or employee-employer relationship. So,
3: Josh, talk to us a little bit about what that was like early on. So, my dad and I—I I mean, we're probably in a unique situation. Maybe not unique, but you know, the way that it came about. I think, helped us, right? I mean, he split with my mom when I was young. So growing up as it was, I only saw him every other weekend, right? So we didn't really get a ton of time together, you know, when I was younger. Fast forward to when we started working together, it was almost like making up for lost time, right? So we never had the typical family feud, back and forth, the father-son relationship that you hear about, Right. We, our relationship has always been very, very good, even to today. At the end of the day, it comes down to respect. I respect him for what he built and what he did and who he is uh, authentically. I mean, you've known him for a long time. He's the most authentic person on the planet, you know? And uh, I think I, I felt the respect also from him when I was able to start making some decisions. He got more comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Because he wanted, like you said, to to start the business, you know, to provide for his family. I wanted to grow the business to provide for a hundred families. Yeah, you know what I mean. That made him uncomfortable. Still makes him uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and but at the end of the day, he respects my decision to do it, and he's all in. Yeah. And so I think that that really helped our dynamic.
1: Okay, so Joel, what what's your perspective on that? What was it like for you early on, and then contrast that with what it's like today?
2: Like you said, it's we've we've always had that not only working relationship but relationship in general. I think that he's he's learned a lot from my mistakes. I never took any time off. I still really don't take any time off. He makes sure he takes time off to be with the family. Those are things that I would have liked to do. I just wasn't in a position to do. In the beginning, it was it's not that I didn't trust him, but I was very controlling over the business. I wanted it done a certain way. I wanted people to act a certain way, communicate with the customers a certain way, and of course, fix the equipment a certain way. And he he never fought me on anything. He understood. So it was a very easy transition. I remember I was, I had to do a job up North and I was going to lose service. And I said, I'm going to forward the phones to you. And I never took them back. <laughs> yeah. You know, he handled it perfectly. So I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, (laughs) then he started telling me where to go. Perfect. You know?
1: Yeah. There's these metamorphoses, if that's the correct way of putting it, that happen over time. Right. I mean, everybody grows. Right. So, I mean, he didn't know how to turn a wrench when he, Mm -hmm. by his own admission, when he first got there and he learned it from the ground up. Now, I think you guys, we're going to talk about culture here in a minute about your company and where it is today. But I think that it could have been way worse culture wise, if you had already built it to a certain level, right? Meaning, let's say you had five or six employees when Josh came in and Josh is starting from the beginning and those five or six employees were still here today. And now Josh is the CEO and they're still the techs, right? Or the, you know, the, the field supervisor or whatever, right? It still happens. I, I'm sure it does, yeah. right? They still believe that, you know, well, Josh is Joel's son, so of course he's the CEO. Yeah, and
2: right? he was given everything. Yeah. Yeah. He has. Yeah. it's You still hear it out there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you want to know his favorite phrase when I was learning? Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> figure it out. Whenever I called him for help, figure it out. Yeah. And I did. But that was the best advice he ever gave me. Yeah. And I wish more people knew. Because... It taught me a lot.
2: But perception, people are going to have their own perception anyways. Like you said, overnight, you're a success. So when they see the buildings and they see the whatever, they, oh, it must be nice. You know, but we do have some long-term employees that have said, you have no idea what they went through to get to this point. Yeah. And they're like, what? You know, didn't you realize we won the lottery and everything just fell from the sky?
1: That's right. One of those, you know. Big bakery families in Chicago, right. you've got all that money, you know, right. that came flying in. <laughs> yeah, They're clueless
2: yeah. and it's, but once they learn and they educate and they start to see how we are and how we interact with everybody, the culture does change. It does shift. You still have some bad apples, but they don't usually last very long.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's talk about kind of where we go from here. So we, we talked about, you know, from the beginning to where we are today, you guys, how many employees do you have today? How many trucks on the road? Give us some details on on where you are now.
3: 65 employees, I believe. 35 trucks, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, and that's spread across all markets.
1: Okay, that's about right. <laughs> so if we fast forward... So, well, actually, before I go there, so what kind of an impact did COVID have on you early on versus the latter parts of COVID, right? So let's say... March of 2020 to the end of 2020 versus 2021 and 2022? And then where do you see yourselves in 2025?
3: Good questions. Uh, So COVID, uh, that was actually very interesting. You know, it really is a testament to the strength of our team. I'm happy to say that we didn't have to furlough any technicians, which is a very common narrative in our industry because so many restaurants closed. And that's uh, one of our biggest, you know, that's our biggest demographic yeah. is uh, is restaurants. So we're blessed to be in Arizona for our biggest, largest branch, I'll say that. Because we shut down for, I, didn't, I shouldn't even say shut down, but we slowed down quite a bit for about a month, month and a half. So four to six weeks, April to May. May is when we came on the show yep. for the first time. So it was probably still fresh then, you know. So we, we slowed down, but. We found ways to keep ourselves busy. We hold some wonderful relationships with our customers, long, long-standing relationships. What a valuable thing that is to have in our industry, because we were able to reach out to some of our customers and say, Hey, work has really dropped off. Is there anything that we can do for you? The answer was usually yes. Some customers opened up other restaurants to us in outside markets. Some customers uh, gave us additional work that they have been waiting on and some customers couldn't, obviously. Sure. But a large part of our base is QSRs, quick service restaurants. And as we all know, they didn't shut down. Yeah. You could still drive through just about anywhere. So it was a good customer base to have, good customer base to leverage and uh, great partnerships that really helped us through, through that. So it didn't last long. Then at the end of 2020, we were pretty much back to normal. 2021, we took off like a bet out of hell. (laughs) I mean, everybody was making up for lost time, making up for lost repairs. The team grew by 33%, something like that. Uh, In 2021, we grew as a company by 25%. And I think it's important to note too, that during COVID that year, although it wasn't a, a lot, Hey, we still uh, marked it down in the books as a growth year. We actually grew in 2020 over what we did in 2019 from a revenue standpoint. Yeah, good for you. So
1: so what, So you grew from a revenue standpoint. You, you put a, an exclamation on that. So you have, probably had to do some reinvestment, do some things a little bit differently. So was it actually a, a lost year in terms of profit or did you still eke out a profit as well?
3: We eked out a profit. Okay. We did. It wasn't a lot but it was profitable, yeah. which is unbelievable. Thank our lucky stars every day. Yeah. You know, But we have a team of people, back to culture, right? We have a team of people that have no problem digging their heels in. And when I get, because I, I do weekly updates for the team, when I get on and I say, team, we got to go. This is what's happening in the world. They know, they've seen the news. We're going to power through it and I need everybody's help. Yeah. And they just... They just went. What do you need us to do?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So close the loop on where are we in 2025? Sitting on a beach. No, I'm sorry. You <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean reality, got it.
3: 2025.
1: I hope you're sitting
3: on a beach no. in 2025, no. Joel. 2025. So that's in three years. Our three-year plan, I believe. We want to be in at least two more markets than we're in right now. And we've actually shifted our growth strategy a little bit from organic growth to acquisitions. So hopefully finding a couple of those to add to the the structure of the organization. And from a revenue standpoint, I mean, we're hoping to be probably 100% over where we're at right now. Okay, so 100% growth in the next three years.
1: Yep. which you, you okay? Know, for a company- yeah. okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just got to check. You, you, know? you brought
1: your own defibrillators, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hundred percent growth for a company that was established in 2003. So almost 20 years ago. Now you guys are obviously celebrating that next year. Hopefully you guys have a big celebration and we're invited to be there for that. Um, Cause that's a big deal, right? I mean, very, very few companies make it 20 years. Uh, in this country. And so that's a that's a huge deal. But then to be talking about 100% growth over the next three years after being in business for 20 years, that, that's aggressive, right? But what I know of you guys and the way that you guys are doing that, I know it's possible because of several things that I know. One, the operations that you guys are doing um, and the way that you run your day to day. But two the culture. Right. So let's take a quick break. Let's hear a call, call to action for our listeners. And we'll come back and we're really going to dig into what you guys are doing from a culture standpoint. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz Podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back to today's program. We're here with Joel and Josh Zolan of Windy City Equipment here in Gilbert, Arizona. They've got a great company. It's been around almost 20 years, and uh, they've got big, big plans for building it as as time goes forward. So, let's dig into this culture side. So let let's start by something that we talked about a little bit on our last show, the last time that you guys were on, and I know that is really important to you, Josh. And that's the book that you put out, I believe in 2017, no, 2019, 2019. Yep. um, Blue is the New White. So tell us what that is, what, you know, how it came about and what you're doing with it today.
3: Sure. So, so Blue is the New White is a, is a concept that kind of turned into a book that turned into a brand at this point, but it's based on the premise that there are unbelievable benefits and opportunities to working in the blue, blue collar trades. That uh, we're not taught in school, right? Nobody ever told me how much uh, money I could make or how many benefits there uh, that that I could reap from fixing restaurant equipment or being an HVAC technician or a plumber, you know, the common perception is, well, plumbers fix toilets all day, you know, bricklayers just lay brick there. They don't do anything else. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? I have found so much satisfaction and value monetarily and otherwise, in working with my hands yet everybody's pushed towards college. Right. And again, I have nothing against college. I say again, cause I feel like I say it over and over <laughs> again, but I've nothing against college or education in general, but I'm, I'm more for the right education for the right individual, right? College or higher education is always about the ROI. It has to be about the ROI. At the end of the day, college more often than not is a bad ROI for a lot of people. And so I've got a big problem with that and coupled with the fact that, you know, these blue collar trades are looked down on and as a second rate career, oh, if you can't cut it in college, you can go be an HVAC tech, you know? And so the whole world, including a lot of people in these industries, are under the impression that they're there because they're stupid. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, but that's just not the case. You know, some of the most intelligent people I know work with their hands in the trades. So I didn't really know this until I started working in the business and I started to understand when we were bringing on employees, how much they were making, you know, what kind of benefits they had uh, from an insurance standpoint, what kind of, you know bonuses they were getting. I mean, just a ton of different things that I had no idea. So I felt like it was a prime opportunity being in a blue-collar trade to speak on behalf of it to the youth of the nation, right? And so the book was written geared towards high school students, kind of written in their voice uh, with me in their corner, but with enough resources and information to convince educators and parents that it was a credible source. So it did very well. First couple of months that it got released, it was on Amazon's bestseller list, which was awesome and humbling. Very, very cool. Uh, since then we've done campaigns to get it into schools, kind of stopped when COVID hit, yeah. you know, but, uh, but a, a few schools across the country have adopted it, which is great. But the biggest thing is it's spun off into a podcast as you know, uh, with the same title where I talk with successful tradespeople all over the world about why they love what they do, you know, trying to put this industry a little bit more on a pedestal. So gained quite a following there. And now um, I feel like it's inciting a little bit of change, at least to get people to think differently about what success looks like.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I think what it's doing at the very least is shining a light on the trades, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing is You know, people are seeking you out to speak at different industry conferences now and you're, you know, you're kind of speaking all over the world really about what the skilled trades bring to our communities, but also what it can bring in terms of satisfaction, right? Because the reality is there is this stigma in our country, really the world over that blue collar is less than white collar, right? And that's just not the case. It shouldn't be the case. I... I grew up in a blue-collar family. We've had this conversation. My dad was a stucco contractor. My brother's an HVAC contractor. You know, it, it's it's very deep. My, grandpa, my grandfather was a farmer, so this is all very deep, you know, in who I am. Now, I chose to go the white-collar route for me because that's what I wanted to do. It had nothing to do with what my the rest of my family did being less than. It was, this is where my skills lie and where I find... More joy in what I do day to day. But the reality is in my business today, even though it's a white collar business, the lion's share of my clients are blue collar business owners, right? And there's a lot of reasons for that. One for me is I enjoy working with blue collar business owners. I relate to them. I understand what it is that they're trying to build and what they're going through. But quite honestly, I find that blue collar business owners are more humble about what it is that they've built. And they understand that the person sitting across the table from them brings skills and advice that they just don't have the answers to themselves and they listen. And a lot of the white collar business owners out there don't listen to what I have to say because they believe that they know better. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. It's unfortunate, yep. right? Cause it sh- that shouldn't be the case. The reality is I've got all the education and experience and background in the world they shouldn't be questioning my advice, but it does happen that way. So frustrating. Anyhow, so let's let's talk about what that, what the book and the podcast has done for Windy City internally, right? So it, it's for you guys. I know that culture is a big deal. It started with Joel and the way that he's kind of built things. And you know, <laughs> I think from the outside looking in, you you hear words like "figure it out." And people are listening and going, well, how does that build a culture of, <laughs> you know, of inclusivity or, you know, people feeling welcomed or, or like they're going to grow. But I know Joel, I know Joel's, you know, personality, and I know the way that that was meant, right? It was, well, if I just show you what to do, you're not going to learn to figure it out on your own. And I know, so Joel, if I'm speaking as Joel, Joel knows that Josh thinks about things differently than he does. And so part of that was, well, let's let Josh figure it out the way that Josh will figure it out and see if that leads us to a better outcome. So talk about the culture from the beginning, and then either one of you can talk about what you guys are doing specifically now.
2: Well, obviously I'm old school, and figure it out was just that, just like you explained. I can show you, but will you really learn it? He learned it. Yeah. He's my kid. So it was a little bit easier to do uh, because today feelings get hurt. Well, I'm sorry about that. So we have some people at the organization that are still very old school. They're great teachers, very patient, but also very, very tough because these kids need it. They've been coddled and not just, I'm not talking about from family. I'm talking about in society. It's you need tough love. You need somebody to say, you screwed up, you know? yeah, You screwed up. Take Own that. Learn from it. We don't expect everybody to be perfect. We expect people to make mistakes. It's how you handle those mistakes. Do you learn from it? You know, if you continue to make the same mistake, you know, then obviously we have a, another issue to deal with. But uh, for the most part, you know, the crew we have now are pretty good with understanding that and accepting that. It's not personal. We're not trying to be mean to you to make your feelings hurt. It's, we want you to be the best of the best. Yeah.
1: You're looking out for their best interest. right? And and I think it's hard sometimes if you've never been approached that way, right? I I was going to say treated that way, but that has a negative connotation. If you've not been taught in that way before, you can see it as a negative way of doing things. But I think that if they understand, and they, and I believe that they do based on, you know, who I knew you guys to be, that you're doing that because you have their best interest in mind. And then, you know, what, how they can grow inside of the organization, but how they're going to help the organization as a whole
2: grow. Unfortunately, you have people that uh, will use that as an excuse to leave. And so they've taken what we've taught them to go get more money, to go better themselves. But what we have found is that uh, they don't have longevity anywhere because they didn't learn enough. There are a lot of the old school guys that own companies don't tolerate it. Yeah. Sorry, I was late. I was playing my video games late last night. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong answer. You're saying that in jest, but that's a reality today. It is. You have those types of excuses. We have those experiences.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) We did. I, you know we've had guys left behind be yeah. at the shop at, at five o'clock in the morning. You know, they show up at, at five 20, the trucks are gone. I don't wait. Yeah. That's a lesson.
1: Yeah. So how, so Josh, how are you guys balancing this as an organization, right? Cause you've got the old school way of thinking, you know, your dad's term is old school, right? Mm-hmm. But you've got these younger generation of, of kids that you're trying to talk to in high school about, you know, finding a great career in the trades the world's different today than it was, you know, when your dad was growing up. And so the, the expectation and the understanding of the world is different today. And so you got kids that are, call them 15 to 25 today, whose thought process about jobs and what they wanna do in life is different than it was for Joel, right? So how are you guys balancing that to say, you know, we, we can give you what you want here. Right. And, and everything that I read and that you that you can learn about kids in that age range today is they want to understand why you're doing what you're doing and what impact they're having on the world by what they're going to do
3: in their job. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, man, <laughs> There's <laughs> because everything that, that, that he said, everything that my dad said is right. You know, it's uh, that that mindset is very important not only in our business, but in life, you know, and, uh, it's about getting that across, you know, to this next generation without overstepping, you know, or what they would consider overstepping, you know, so it, it becomes difficult. You know, one thing I'll say about this next generation and one thing that's been important for us, which, you know, I feel like we've put a lot of resources into, and that is is paying off a little bit is that everybody has a window. Now with social media, right? Everybody has a window that they can look through, that they can look into any organization. If an organization isn't on social media, that's a red flag to them. If they are on social media, okay, great. That's step one. Step two is, well, when they apply, are you the same company inside that you are outside? You know, because that's big too. They're going to know right away whether or not, you know, you're just putting on a show. On social media or if you actually live and breathe the values that you say you live and breathe are the values that you market yep. that you you know live and breathe so you know step one is being who you say you are you know that's that's big and i think that goes a long way step two and you said it yourself is setting expectations you know and explaining why we can have this mentality right and and we have our set of values and and they are old school i mean one of them is own own everything Right, you know, take ownership. If you make make a mistake, don't point a finger. If if you're going to point a finger, point it at you. Right, that can be hard for people to hear sometimes, especially those who have grown up being able to point fingers, you know, and uh, and haven't really been taught ownership. Once you can set expectations before, and this this happens like in the interview process, right? So before they're they're even in the company, expectations are set. This is these are our values. This is how we act. Right, and this is why. But then you can kind of go over, hey, especially if they're younger and impressionable, this is what we teach, and this is why it's important, right? And then it's on them. I mean, the decision is on them at that point whether or not they want to go down that road, and whether or whether or not they don't. And sometimes you can set all the expectations in the world, they still go down that road and realize, "Mm, no, this isn't for me. You know, we've had people do that in the past too. Keys are on the table hey where's where's so and so i don't know <laughs> he left you know but we've done a very good job at mitigating that now you know because it is about setting expectations and being who you say you are so that leads
1: to kind of this issue that we've got going on worldwide and that's you know labor shortage or inability to get people engaged right and i've spoken to other people in the trades that may not know you personally, but they know you as somebody who's actively engaged specifically on social media, because that's where you're reaching the people that you're looking for to come to work for you in the trades today and the things that you're doing to reach out right to these, to these, to this labor force, the people that you're trying to get to come to work for you. So what is it specifically that you're doing there to get the message out and, and, You know, what are you guys doing on social media that's leading you guys to it's still hard, right? You guys don't have it perfectly figured out. You're still dealing with it just like everybody else. But maybe it's giving you a leg up compared to the other groups that are out there.
3: Well, just the visibility helps, you know, because typically this industry has lagged behind with social media and and stuff like that. So just being out there and being present on social media really helps. I find that relatability is a big thing right? The, the podcast is a great example. You know, you asked earlier what, uh, what the book and the podcast is doing for Windy City. Well, one of the things is that, you know, when you can reach out to somebody in a trade, right, maybe it's in the industry that we're in, or maybe it's a parallel industry or something like that, you create a relatable story, right? Because you're asking this person their journey. And it's led to a lot of networking and connections. And hey, you should meet this person. You should meet that person. Fun fact: Now, two of the uh, pod my previous podcast guests are now executives in in our company, the high level executives at that. You know, so I joke all the time. It's a great way to interview somebody without them knowing they're being interviewed. <laughs> you know, but but that's just one example, yeah. right? And and you mentioned the speaking engagements and things like that. That also helps. You know, because I try to be a forward thinker in this industry, which I think that most people know that we need, you know, specifically in this style of trade, you know, you have to look ahead. And so I think that that resonates with a lot of people out there.
1: Social media, a lot of
3: times is these short
1: snippets and I, I don't even think you're on social media, right? Because I Not tried really. to look you up on, I think LinkedIn and didn't find you. but. You know, so th- this is obviously not your area of expertise, right? But social media, you know enough to know that social media tends to be short snippets, right? So you're seeing maybe a one-minute video or a one-and-a-half-minute video. But when you do long-form podcasts like yours or you're a guest on our podcast or you're you know speaking to an audience in, in different industries throughout the, the world for an hour at a time, if you're posting that long-form stuff anywhere, YouTube, wherever it is that you're posting it, this audience is able to see it. I believe that that gives, not only does it give you legitimacy, but it also in the mind of the person who's watching it is you may be able to turn it on and be this fake Josh or Joel Zolan for a minute and a half. But if you're doing a long form interview, you're getting the real deal. Yeah. Right. And everybody knows that with Joel, we're getting the real deal, whether it's short form or for, short form or long form. But there's there's from the outside looking in, they know that they're getting the real person. You just can't fake it for that long. Obviously, I, I know that you've posted some stuff. I've seen some of your stuff. You're you're posting short snippets of it as well. But I would assume and hope that you have the long form somewhere that people can go and see, and you know the links to that because I think that that does give them a level of comfort and say, okay their culture that they're putting out on social media is legitimately who they are.
3: Yeah. No, that's that's super important. And and those those absolutely exist, you know, and that's and all part of the social media strategy. If you're listening, I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> you know, but but it, it's true. And we happen to have one of the one of the best uh mark, marketing directors in the industry. Met him through social media. Yeah. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. <laughs> crazy, you know and so he's the one that actually does all of our video editing and and stuff like that so presentability is a big thing too you know because I think it helps to drive that authenticity
1: yeah all right so Joel this question's for you what what are you what are you focused on at this point internally at the company and then I guess I'm going to follow that up with What do you see Josh doing internally at the company that you look, you sit back and think, gosh, man, that's really smart that he's doing that. That's making a big difference in our company.
2: My main focus honestly is cash flow. Okay. I look at every invoice that comes through the company, usually have words about why we're spending something, (laughs) but it's, uh, again, I'm old school. When I started the company, I didn't have specialty tools. I didn't have all these fancy things. I just went to work. Now we have guys, well, I really need this. No, you don't. You don't need it. It's a want. I yeah. get it. Justify it to me and we'll buy it. So uh, we've got one guy in particular that actually breaks it down and says, I'll be able to dock three hours off of labor or blah, blah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, that's just on one job. If you use it now on 10 jobs, it the tool paid for itself. Yep. I can get behind that. You know, so that's, uh, cash flow is what I look at. I always look back at what Josh does and, and admire his forward thinking, his vision for where we can be. I don't have that gift. Maybe when I was younger I did, but not like he has today. I mean, I'll give you an example. When he first started with us, he was back in the shop one day doing a video for YouTube on how to fix a mixer. I said, what are you doing, you know? And he said, nobody's put these out yet. I said, what do you mean nobody? Okay, it's probably not worth it, you know. But <laughs> he has a whole library of that, that forward thinking I would have never come up with. But that's what he brings to the table. That's what he still continues to focus on.
1: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, if I were to boil that down to one theme it's innovation right Mm -hmm. he's he's looked at this in an innovative way and said you know what we can take this to the to the next level by incorporating some of the technologies and the social media and these sorts of things that exist i always say
2: he brought us into the 21st century
1: yeah so i'm going to ask josh a question here in a second about about you but i want to touch on something that you said so you focus on cash flow you've been in business almost 20 years Mm -hmm. You know, you built this organization from the ground up, and now it's you and Josh building it together. But I want the people who are listening to understand how important that is, right? Because cash flow is what kills companies. It's not that you don't have good enough employees or you don't have a good enough culture, you don't have a good enough strategy or good enough product. It's cash flow that kills most businesses. It's true.
2: And it doesn't matter what business it is, it is yeah. cash flow. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> like you said, you could have the best product of the world, and everybody could have it. But if you don't bill for it and collect on it, it's not going to matter. You can only produce for so long.
1: Yep. Yeah, you take your eyes off that ball, and it, it doesn't matter if you're doing one million in revenue or you're doing a hundred million yep. in revenue. Cash
3: flow can still kill you. Yes. You can yep. be, pro- you can be, pro- this is what people get confused on too, but you you know better than anybody, profitability isn't even an indication of cash flow. Yep. You could be a very profitable company and close your doors because cash flow.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Big, big, big deal. So Josh, last question, I think for the, for the interview, but if you look back, so it's been almost 2008, 12, 14, so it's been 14 years, almost 15 years that you've been working with your dad. Yeah. If we had to narrow it down to one thing that you're the most grateful about in working with your dad or the the most important thing that he's taught you along the way, what would it be?
3: It's a good question. <laughs> the most important thing. Probably if I had to choose one thing, it would be that nothing in life worth having comes easy. Simply put. He used to say that all the time. Yeah. And it, it resonated with me 15 years ago, just as much as it resonates with me today, yeah. because it's the truth. We've been blessed. We've landed on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America three times now, 18, 19 and 20. And to your point, people see that, you know, they get to post that stuff on Facebook and, and social media and all this. People don't see what happens behind the scenes. You know, it's it's hard every step of the day, every step of the way, every single day we walk into that office, man, it's. To battle and it will continue to be, you know, but what do they say? We, we do today what others won't so we can have tomorrow what others can't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a really important lesson for everybody. I can see you getting a little bit emotional about it, thinking about it. It makes me emotional thinking about it myself. Right. And I think that that's one of the biggest truths that everybody needs to know is that you have to put work in and it's not just business, right? I mean, Joel can tell you, you know, from experience, unfortunately, negative experience, that it applies in family life as well. It applies in marriages. It applies in anything worth having takes work. You got to put that work in. You're going to say something.
2: Yeah, it was just funny. I I never go to the conferences that Josh has always gone to until this year. <laughs> I met him in Tennessee, and we're walking through the hall, and there's people in front of us, and they're talking about Windy City. They didn't know we were behind them. And Josh said, "Are you guys talking about us?" And it <laughs> turns out that you know they were customers of ours. But that was the first time I've really seen the impact of what he does for Windy City. Yeah, it was pretty wild. That's weird, Tennessee. I mean, this is—it's
1: crazy. I mean, it, it. I've experienced that, you know, to a lesser degree because I I don't have even the presence that Josh has, you know, on social media, and the impact that he's had on your guys' industry has been tremendous, right? But it's always it's always surprising to me when I'll be walking around here somewhere and, and they're like, hey, don't you host that podcast? Or didn't I see you here? Or, did, did I see you on LinkedIn posting about this? And so it is interesting to see and, and hear and actually visualize, oh, gosh, you know, all that effort and time that I've put into this, whether it's the social media strategy or building the company itself with with values that really, really matter. Right. It's it's nice to be able to kind of take a step back and realize, OK, it, it did. It did have an effect and I have affected other people along the way. So for sure. Yeah. Well, hats off to you guys. You guys have built a great organization and continue to build a great organization. We'll definitely have you back. I don't know if we'll wait another two years. I don't know why we waited <laughs> two years to have you guys back. But, you know, what you guys are doing for the trades overall is is tremendous. What you're doing for your families is tremendous. And it's two kids from the the Midwest making good on things, you know, building something that's, that's important and that matters in the lives of, like you said, hundreds of people and hundreds of families as time goes on as you build this organization. So hats
3: off to you. Thank you, Austin. Thank you very much for having us back on the show. Always a pleasure, man.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, Hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.